Well, continuing our series on the fruit of the Spirit is found in Galatians 5. And I'm going in order. So if you know the order, you know it's time for that one, that one fruit of the Spirit that over the years... And even before I was in full-time ministry, I remember years ago doing a Wednesday night class on the fruit of the Spirit. And you know, people don't come up to me and make a big deal out of love. They don't say, oh man, I, I, I love, I got to work on love. They don't come up to me and say, you know, I just really need more joy in my life. That's something that's really been a problem for me. And I've just got to work on being a more joyful or joyous person. But boy, when we get to patience, yeah, the number of people that come up to me and say, man... Oh, that, that one's so hard for me. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands if you can say, well, it's hard for you this morning. I think it's hard for all of us. I think it's hard for all of us. But what I remember one of my elders in Kentucky saying after we concluded the series, he said, Greg, he said, I've come to realize, he said, none of this is really natural. All of this, at least in some form, takes work. And he's exactly right. And we're going to talk about that a little later. But yes, we've done love, joy, peace, and now we get to patience. And so uh, I, I thought, you know, what in the world am I going to do to talk about patience? Where am I going to go in God's Word for this? And... Uh, matter of fact, when I when I messaged uh, Hayden, it was all I could do to keep from saying, you know, hey, it's patience. Good luck picking out songs to go with that, you know, because I don't know of any any praise songs or any hymns offhand that that talk about patience as difficult as it is for so many of us. Uh, any budding songwriters out there? Uh, maybe that's something to work on. But I've got a list of names here. We could have used any of these. Most of them in the Hebrew Bible, what we refer to as typically as the Old Testament. But uh, Noah, Daniel, Hosea, Esther, Joseph, Abraham, Rebekah, Moses, Jacob, Samuel, Hannah, Jochebed. Anybody know who Jochebed is? Moses' mom. And we could have talked about any of those. And then from the New Testament, we've got Mary, we've got Simeon, we've got Paul. We could have talked about any of those people. When you get right down to it, there's no shortage of examples of people that had to be patient for what God called them to do and for the situations in which they found themselves. Holy Scripture is just full of examples of people who were incredibly patient in their faith. Patient in waiting on the Lord to fulfill His promises. I think about Abraham as one 
just because of what I've been doing out at Hope Center Ministries, uh, at the Addiction Recovery Center, in our, our Tuesday morning Bible study. And I've just taken those guys through a big chunk of the book of Exodus. And I wanted to do that because, you know, we've got some folks there struggling, you know, recovering from addiction that grew up in church. But we've also got folks there that they've never heard the good news of the gospel. And I wanted them to understand who God was. And so God reveals himself in the event of the exodus. And one of those ways is, is that he is a God who fulfills promises. You think about Abraham. Abram at the time the covenant was made was his name. But he is promised that your descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore, right church? But does he get to see it? Of course not. As a matter of fact, when you get three, four generations away, by the time you get to the end of the book of Genesis, it's a family of 70 people. But we turn the page to Exodus 1, and we see that Pharaoh is doing what, church? He's getting nervous. Why? Because these Hebrew people, these direct descendants of Abraham, are so numerous that they can't be counted. That he is afraid, literally afraid, that the Hebrew people that they have enslaved for hundreds of years, that they are going to grow so numerous that they're going to overtake the Egyptians. And so right there we see that God is a God who fulfills promises. But if you know Abraham's story, he was on up in years. It was so many years after he had been the recipient of God's promise that he had about written it off. Or he certainly had written off the idea of that child being born through his wife Sarah. That it was going to have to be through a servant. Or that, that there was not going to be no child and he was going to leave everything to one of his servants. But the story I want us to look at in Numbers 13 is that of Caleb. Someone that we don't really talk a lot about. Someone who's not mentioned very often in Scripture. But in Numbers 13, we begin in verse 1, The Lord said to Moses, Send some of the men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. And then the writer of Numbers goes on to uh, describe who all of these people were. And so it is a name of, of each of the, of the tribes as was directed. Uh, these are leaders. Uh, they could be called chieftains of each of the twelve tribes of Israel. And you see there... In verse 6, 
in verse 6 from the tribe of Judah, Caleb, son of Jephunneh. And then in verse 8 from the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, son of Nun. And we see down in verse 16 that Hoshea's name was changed to Joshua. So Joshua and Caleb are among these twelve. And some of you know this story very, very well. Verse 17, when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev, that's a desert, and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. And so we read there in Numbers that they go on and these 12 men go in and explore the land. Now, they're sometimes referred to as 12 spies. But what they did really wasn't what we would think of as spying. Uh, You know, we think about spying today and people kind of go undercover. It's covert operations. Uh, uh, You know, they uh, don't want to be detected. And we get really no evidence of that. Now, the next time they send people into the land, they are spying. They are going into cover of darkness. But that'll be uh, some quite some. That'll be decades later when that occurs. But we might consider these folks explorers because spy, uh, as it was really meant to be interpreted, is to look or to see. If you think about uh, maybe you, when you had a, a child riding in your car, I know when we would entertain Barrett riding on a trip somewhere, and we would play the little game, I spy. I spy with my little eye something green. Hey preacher, is it the trim around the slide? Yes, it is. Yeah. And so, and so it's, a, it's a game we play, but what are we spying simply means to see. And so that's what these men did. They went into the land. They checked it out. They, are, they were to determine what kind of soil there was, what kind of cities there were. Are they well fortified? What kind of people are there? Because if we're going to go into this land, we need to know, know what to expect. And so they even get a big group of grapes because there were grapes and figs and pomegranates in this land rich with this wonderful fruit. And so they bring some of those grapes back and the the string of grapes they get is so big that they have to put it on a pole and two of the men carry it between them. But after 40 days, the appointed time, they did return and they gave a report. And so we read of the report beginning in verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. 
There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Now based on that sentence right there, church family, what kind of sense do you get of Caleb? Is he a warmonger? Is he a guy that just likes to pick a fight? I don't think so. I think he's a man of faith. I think he's a man who says, this is the land we were promised on oath. Why would God abandon us now? And so he's the one who signs to the people and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them and so the report that spreads throughout the Israelite camp and remember this is a nation of people this isn't a few hundred people what had left Egypt was somewhere between 1.5 and 3 million people it's estimated So here's a nation of people and you have these two men, Joshua and Caleb, that are saying, God is with us, we can do it. And then you have these other ten guys that say, "Uh uh-uh, no, the Nephilim. Now if you're wondering, what in the world, who is Anak? And what in the world are the Nephilim? Well, the best anybody can tell smart people that understand Hebrew really well, is that these are people that are basically like the size of Goliath. Everybody knows the story of David and Goliath. Goliath the Philistine. And so this is like a race of people that are just abnormally large. And so... If we saw what David could do to Goliath, although we haven't gotten there yet in Scripture, so I get that part. But we, looking at it now, know that David was able to slay Goliath. Why? Because God was on his side. And so now we get a group of people that are just so, woe is me. Church family, how many times in our lives are we woe is me when we should be? God is on our side. He'll help us. We can do this. 
I hear stories of faith all the time that just amaze me. And I think, wow, what incredible faith this person has. There's a church here in our community that recently stepped out in faith. And I saw, I see now what is happening as a result of their faith. Because they partnered with Hope Center Ministries and every Tuesday morning, every Tuesday and Friday afternoons when I go do counseling, I see the fruit that is born from a body of Christ that was approached with an opportunity some months ago and stepped out in faith. And so we are called to be people who step out in faith. And you might wonder, well, preacher, what in the world does all that have to do with patience? Because I don't see how you can have patience unless you have faith. Think about Caleb. Because here's what comes next in the story. In case you're not familiar with it. This is the reason the Israelite nation wandered in the desert for 40 more years. Because of their woe is me attitude and their, the, these bad reports that worked through the Israelite nation, worked through that huge camp like yeast working through the dough. And so now all the people are like, ain't no way we can go in there. There's no way. We're going to be like little grasshoppers to these people. You know, it's a suicide mission. That's just insane for us to go in there. And so God is so angry, and Moses steps in and says, No, Lord, don't wipe them out, because there's people all around that already know about us. And they're going to be, they're going to wonder about a God who delivered them from bondage only to let them die in the desert. Now, I've always wondered if God says some of those things because he wants to see to what length Moses is willing to fight for these people that he has led out of Egypt and led this far. But nonetheless, God says to Moses, okay, I have forgiven them. But here are the consequences. No member of this generation except Joshua and Caleb, are going to enter that land because they maintained their faith in me. And they were the only ones. And so they wandered in the desert for 40 years and those people died off. And so it was a new generation of people that got to walk across the Jordan on dry ground if you read the book of Joshua got to walk across the Jordan on dry ground. And at this point, Caleb is about 40 years old. So he is 80 when he finally gets to go into that land. And when he finally gets to claim his inheritance in that land, he's 85 years old. That church family, 45 years of faithfulness. 45 years is an opportunity to be patient. I'm reminded of the movie Evan Almighty. 
some of you may remember the movie Bruce Almighty. And then there was a spin-off movie, sort of a sequel to that. This guy named Evan, who's played by the actor Steve Carell, for those of you that watched The Office some years ago. But Evan, it was... Uh, Uh, a news anchor, and he decides to run for Congress, and so he gets elected, and there he is in Washington, but now God calls him to build an ark. It's a modern-day Noah story. And it's actually a very good family movie, I think. But, you know, there he is, and he's growing the beard, and he's wearing the funny clothes, and he is building the ark in his subdivision. And people are looking at him like he's what, church? Like he's crazy, like he has just lost his mind. And of course, the reason he's doing it is because, well, because God told him to. And he feels like he doesn't have a choice. And you're thinking, but wait a second, God promised he's not going to flood the earth. Turns out, he has him build the ark because a dam is going to break. And then that's where all the water comes from. And there they are floating through Washington, D.C. in an ark. Yeah, it sounds bizarre. But there's this one scene in the movie where God has taken the role of a server in a restaurant. And Evan's wife is upset because she's had all she can take of her husband's antics of that he is building this ark for crying out loud. And so Morgan Freeman's character playing God says, you know, what, what's, what's wrong? And she s- explains the situation and I've been praying for patience. And he says, you know what? He says when people pray for their family to, get clo- to become closer together, closer knit, does you think God just zaps his finger and, and all of a sudden they love each other more? He says, of course not. It's not as simple as you pray a prayer and then everybody feels warm and fuzzy toward each other. He says you pray a prayer and then God gives you opportunities to be together and to love each other. He said you pray for courage. God doesn't just simply give you courage. He gives you opportunities to be courageous. And he says you pray for patience. God just doesn't give you patience. He gives you opportunities to practice patience. Why church? Because every aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is something we have to work at. All of this goes against our nature. If you read Galatians 5, what Paul is saying to those folks and saying to us today is this this is... This is what, given to our own devices, this is the stuff we do. And there's a whole list of sins there. He says, left to our own nature, left to the flesh, this is the stuff we do. And that section in verses 22 and 23 of Galatians 5 is a response to that. It's simply saying, but you are baptized into Christ. You are new creations. And so this is how you are to live. 
You're to be people who bear fruit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so here we are. People who can say, oh my goodness. (coughs) Excuse me. I have such a problem with patience. I need to be a more patient person. Starting today. Starting maybe if you go out to eat today. And the kitchen's backed up and the service is a little slower than usual. Takes a little longer to get your food. What have you got there, church? Ta-da! An opportunity to be patient, right? Is God just going to, boom, make you a more patient person? No! You say, I want to be more patient? He says, okay, great. Tomorrow you're going to get four opportunities to practice patience. On Tuesday, you're going to get seven. By the end of the week, I'm going to give you like 26 a day. All those opportunities to be patient. And it's not easy, right? Why? Because of people, right? And because... In our culture, it is very easy and very natural for us to turn into, to develop into people who are self-absorbed. And as a people who have just, I hesitate to say come through a pandemic, but last report we only had six active cases in our county, praise the Lord. And so people who are in the process of coming through a pandemic, we might say. But what did that pandemic do? It separated us. And it got us in the habit of living apart from people. Now to some, some people said, oh, I can't stand this. I can't wait to be back with people. What I've observed is what a lot of people have done is they... They adapted and they grew accustomed to not being around other people as much. And that can be a dangerous thing, church. Because we were made to be people who exist in community. We were made to be people who love others just as much as we love God. And scripture tells us if we say we love God but we don't love our neighbor, then that part about loving God, scripture says, you're a liar. And so here we are. People who can say, like every other body I've ever talked to about patience can say, I really need to be more patient. Another word for patience is long-suffering. Not a word we typically use in our everyday speech, our everyday vernacular. But it's a descriptive word. means you're suffering for a long time, right? Isn't that what patience is? 
is that you adapt to be someone who knows what it's like to put the needs of others before yourself and then thereby you might suffer somewhat for it. Maybe you suffer for an actual situation that has nothing to do with anyone else. But church family, Holy Scripture is full of examples of people who had faith and therefore were able to be patient. May God help us to be those kinds of people. I want to close today with a verse. Bill mentioned the New Living Translation and that's exactly what this is from. From the uh, Gospel of Luke chapter 8 verse 15 And the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's Word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. People who hear God's word cling to it and patiently produce a huge harvest. Church family, let's bear fruit.